Welcome to the Davy Tree Expert Companies podcast, Talking Trees. I'm your host, Doug Oster. Each week, our expert arborists share advice on seasonal tree care, how to make your trees thrive, arborists' favorite trees, and much, much more. Tune in every Thursday to learn more, because here at the Talking Trees podcast, we know trees are the answer. I'm joined this week by Tim Jackson. He's a district manager for the Davy Tree Expert Company in West San Antonio, Texas. And today we're talking all about pruning trees that are spring flowering. How are you doing today, Tim? Uh, Very well. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I want you to school me on the right time to to prune things that, that flower now up here. But I want to start off with and tell me a little bit about what's the winter like in San Antonio, Texas. Well, right now it's a muggy 73 degrees and cloudy, but it's, you know, we sometimes freeze here. It's rare, but we get the occasional freeze, but it's been a very tolerable winter so far. Sounds much more tolerable than the Pittsburgh winter for sure. No doubt about that. So a lot of times when we talk about pruning or when I talk about pruning with arborists, a lot of it is done off season when they're dormant. But in the case, I guess in my case, when I'm thinking up in the east for a dogwood, if I if I prune that with the buds on it, I'll be pruning off the flowers. That's right. Uh, dogwoods, uh, red buds, some of these plants that grow up there are typically setting their buds on the older growth. And when they're spring bloomers, you should prune them Oh, during the summer or fall, sometime after their bloom in the spring is the time you want to start pruning those. And what are some general rules for spring flowering trees when we talk about pruning? Well, general rule is uh, try not to take too much of the plant back. Um, We always consider the shape, the species, and the environment. Sometimes you, you have to get a plant to fit into a certain spot. They become leggy and a lot of shade in some cases, and you need to bring them back some in order to manage their weight. Uh, But as far as their flowering, uh, the best time to prune them is after the bloom. I was at a property yesterday, and I could not convince this guy to stop butchering his forsythia shrubs. And I mean, I'm talking butchering. Uh, Talk a little bit about educating your clients on on pruning the right way. Well, if if there's a general right way, you'd rather not just hack them back to nubs and let them restart. Now, this you could call that loosely rejuvenation pruning. And a lot of times you'll have a plant that just really overgrows its space, so they cut them back really hard, but that shouldn't be an annual event on most plants, and forsythia notwithstanding. And the thing is that he was just telling me, he goes, well, I want it to look good for my neighbors and they're, they're just getting too big. And I'm like, you're, you've got this plant out in the middle of nowhere. You're ruining its, its complete shape, its natural shape. But again, he just had, he, the homeowner has it in his mind that this is the way a forsythia is supposed to look. And, you know, forsythia is a weed, but still cutting it back like that, you know, you know, taking off half the plant, it can't be good for its overall health down the road. Yeah, the, the long, long-term long effects of the over-pruning, if we'll call it that, is uh, it, it's just that they tend to sprout more from the ground. They're trying to rejuvenate. So really, you're heading back a plant over and over again, causing it to expend all kinds of energies to try and grow back to what it's been cut to incorrectly. 
it's always better to cut back to lateral limbs if at all possible. Even on smaller things, the less woody plants, cut them back to laterals anyway. Take less than 25% at a time and you should be safe. So that's what I was trying to show him. But if can you explain what we mean? We mean lateral limbs in, instead of, you know, again, every shrub that he touched, he, he was he was just cutting basically cutting the tips off, you know, which is the the worst thing you can do. So just talk a little bit about going back to where that cut should be made. Well, uh, tip pruning is often done, and it's a bit of a wives' tale. I've heard it for years, and if you cut the tips off, they'll bloom more. Well, they in fact they won't in most cases. They'll bloom just as much with or without tip pruning. Uh, but to cut to a lateral correctly, you want to go back to a twig that or a branch that is at least half the size of the parent stem. How did you learn how to do the pruning right? Well, I guess I grew up uh, right behind an apple orchard in Ohio, and I guess I, I spent a lot of time bothering the neighbor. And while I was watching, he offered me a job. So when I was young, I started pruning apple trees and other trees, and that led to pruning his shrubs and other things. And I learned a lot there. And I lived next door to uh, a now deceased guy named Vern Thaxton, who worked for Davy Tree many years ago, and he taught me a lot of things about gardening, even when I was very young. And I guess whatever my grandmother told me, because everything she planted in the ground turned green and bloomed, and there was no rhyme or reason to it. She just had that green thumb. Tell me about pruning apple trees. That that seems like serious pruning to me, because if you don't do it right, you're not going to get the apples where you want them. Is that right? That is right. Now, fruit-bearing trees, every tree flowers in one way or another. Very, not Most of them aren't very showy. Oak trees aren't very showy, but they make an awful lot of flowers. But if you're pruning a fruit tree, in particular an apple, it uh, depends on what you want the tree to do, because there's orchard pruning, and then there's pruning for shape, pruning for weight. Uh, when a tree gets so heavy on the ends, you just have to head them back, and you want to do that after fruiting. Not after flowering, but after fruiting. Tell me a little bit about that experience growing up with that orchard right next door to you. That sounds pretty cool. Well, I ate a lot of apples. I can tell you that. <laughs> a lot of pears, a lot of apples. It, it was a good, uh, a good place to grow up, that's for sure. So let's talk a little bit more about pruning as science and art. That's how I always phrase it. Not every arborist likes me to say it that way. I, that's how I look at it. You know, there are certain rules about pruning, but what about the artistic part of it? What about making sure the plant looks the way you want it to look? Well, and you know, you're obviously, I work primarily for homeowners and they've got a limited yard space. So you've got a shape of a plant that you want to maintain and manage in a certain space. So you want the bloom to occur, you know, above eight feet off the ground. If it's near a walkway, you want it not to grow into the house. So you've got some simple heading back things to keep it off of structures. But I really look back at it and think, what's the best plan for curb appeal? And how big could this plant get? And what could we cut it back to, to intelligently and artfully make this thing look right? Most people want them round. So we get some long ends here and there and make some light shaping cuts back to laterals so we can make the plant fit the space and look the way they want it to. One thing I don't know anything about at all is what to do with weeping trees, you know, and I guess weeping cherry is, is one of them where 
part of it doesn't weep anymore. What do you do in those situations? Well, that's a good question. Um, weeping cherries, like many weeping plants, are usually grafted species. So what they do is they graft onto a different cherry, which is not weeping, and then the rest of the stock that grows above ground is a weeping variety. Often what will happen is a ground shoot will come up from the base non-weeping because it's coming from the rootstock, so that will go straight up and start to get into the canopy of the weeping tree. So the best thing to do there is cut back the rootstock and make sure just the weeping part of the tree is left. How important is it for a homeowner to get a certified arborist to come out and do the pruning as opposed to them doing it themselves? Well, unless they've read a lot and studied a lot, it's better just to hire someone who's got that credential. Somebody who just has done this a lot, has a lot of experience with a lot of plants, and can make better decisions. Any horror stories about going on the site and seeing what a homeowner has done to their tree? Like the horror story I saw yesterday with those poor forsythias? Well, more than I could tell in the length of time we probably have, but... Uh... <laughs> Well, people go out and they, they start cutting. Often the husband will do some cutting on a weekend and the, the wife will call me during the week and say, would you come and fix what my husband did? That's the <laughs> typical. Uh, but it, it happens often enough. Or they'll, they'll treat a flowering tree the same as they might uh, an oak tree or something. And it's, they're really completely different species that just require different attention. So uh, down in Texas, tell me about some of your favorite trees trees that an arborist would love that maybe a homeowner might not see as often or plant as often? Well, the, I think the trees that most of us love are probably the same trees others do. In South Texas, we have uh, live oak trees, and this is it's my favorite tree. They're fairly ubiquitous here. They just are long, wide-spreading, interesting trunks. Uh, and the, really, the great thing about them is they have this wonderful growth habit that makes an umbrella. But beneath them, I really like to see the appropriate plantings of Japanese maples, which can grow even in Canada. Redbud trees are wonderful for that because they grow better in an understory environment. If they're in direct sun, they don't do as well. So really you get a layered effect. You get this wonderful overreaching arching umbrella of an oak tree and beneath it you can plant these wonderful ornamentals that can give you some color and some bloom and a little bit of change of texture. So we've heard about just your early life of already starting with trees, why was it right for you to continue into your career and and become an arborist? You know, honestly, I think it was more about the uh, the climbing aspect of it. I really always have climbed things, and I enjoyed getting way up into trees. And when you finish pruning a tree and you look back at it, you get to look at that tree and say, I just took care of that thing, and that's going to be here for another 100 years uh, you leave these wonderful landmarks and, and you do them some good. You give them some valued service. You take care of them. You improve their condition. And talk about the time with the clients, uh, about uh, helping them solve these problems. Well, I guess almost like an evolution for me, it was I was really good at climbing trees when the opportunity came to move up to where I was more intently servicing clients and giving advice more than I was doing pruning. Uh, that transition ended up to be more fulfilling than climbing the trees themselves, which was hard for me to understand at the time. But really working with people, their love for trees, uh, having a shared idea going forward when we present them with, hey, this is what you've got and this is where you want it to be. This is how we'll do it. 
uh, going through that with each and every client and getting to know them has been very rewarding. How has the start of the season for you been down in Texas as far as the weather? Uh, very little rain. So a drought kicked off, I guess, late of 2021 and uh, very little rain to speak of. Uh, not much good for anything but a little bit of the lawns. So supplemental watering became a real kind of a big topic for clients. They would say, why is this tree not as good as it was last year at this time? Well, we need water and the trees are, are asking for it. And fertilization also, they just really need some deep root fertilization. Well, let's talk a little bit about that because first off, anybody who grows anything, when you hear the word drought, that's just the worst thing that can happen. I don't care if you're growing tomatoes or trees, uh, a drought is not a good thing. But when you have to water a tomato, it's much different than watering a, a big tree. Talk a little bit about that, about how much water that tree needs. Well, obviously tomatoes and smaller plants, you can water very near to the trunks of them and they will get that throughout the root zone. A larger trees, you have to water further out, nearer to the drip line of the tree, somewhere between five feet from the edge of the drip line and five feet outside is where most of the really good feeder roots are. That's where most of the water uptake occurs, not at the trunk. So I guess I would advise against: do not water the trunk of your tree, water where the roots are. And I guess you really got to soak it in, right? It's much deeper with a larger tree. Uh, depending on your soil profile, you may have roots uh, in the upper 28 inches and in parts of South Texas, it might be the upper six inches. And then talk about fertilization. This is something that I talk about with arborists all the time, but I think it's something that homeowners don't think about a lot, but it's an important part of growing trees. Well, if I guess I could liken it to taking a multivitamin or something. We all have little parts of, of our diet that are not completely fulfilled. Uh, you can certainly use up the iron that's available in an area or the uptake might be slowed because the alkalinity is high. There are a number of reasons why you should add supplemental iron. Uh, nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, all at a slow release rate are the best way to deliver it. And some other micronutrients, really commonly on magnesium, I'm sorry, magnolia trees, they need manganese as well as iron. It looks like an iron deficiency or a chlorosis, uh, but on that particular species, it's nearly always manganese. If you find that you have a plant that's yellowing, red oaks do this very commonly up north. Uh, if you see them as a neon yellow when they ought to be green and you can see a green vein, they're iron poor and they're screaming for iron. So fertilization with iron added is always a good thing. And talk a little bit about how you do that. How do you fertilize a big giant tree like that? Well, the, the homeowner remedies aren't as good or as I guess elegant as what we've developed over the years here at Davie is we, we use a soil probe, push it into the ground and deliver it with water subsurface. So we're getting it directly to the roots and we're covering the entire root zone of the tree. So talk a little bit about the importance of taking your time pruning. As you said, when you're done looking back at that tree and seeing, seeing its, its overall shape, how important that is, not just going in there and hacking wildly. Well, it, if you were to take a tree, for example, that was like a big lollipop and you took a pair of head shears to it, you could probably finish the tree much more quickly, but you would have dozens of incorrect cuts and just a few correct ones all throughout the tree. So hundreds of wrong cuts and just a few correct cuts is not the best way to do it. If you can get the proper tools, a proper pole pruner or hand snips if needed, 
it's important to cut back to those laterals as we spoke about earlier. But as importantly, it's the direction those laterals you're cutting to are making in the tree. You have to sort of look at the plant and think, okay, this lateral grows to the center, it's got space there. Let me cut to this one. So you have choices. And when you do that, you can shape and direct a tree a lot more effectively. You know, I, I just want to send this message out to homeowners. Do yourself a favor. If you love your trees, have an expert come out and, and do your pruning for you. It's so important. I'm going to finish up, Tim, uh, with one more question. Just tell me, what's the best part about your job in general? Uh, honestly, it's people. It it is It just is that way. I do love trees. I love what I do. But it's the people I work for that really uh, just bring me fulfillment. Well, I'm going to leave it right there. That's good stuff. Thanks for your time. And thanks for all that great information. Have a great day, Tim. Thank you. That was some great pruning information for sure. Now, next week, we have a special show all about migrating birds and how they relate to trees. You don't want to miss it. Tune in every Thursday to the Talking Trees podcast from the Davy Tree Expert Company. I'm your host, Doug Oster. I'd love it if you would subscribe to the podcast. Where else can you have this kind of fun? As always, we'd like to remind you on the Talking Trees podcast, trees are the answer.